The scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. That can be found on page 1063 in your pew Bibles. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you also. It is wonderful to see the many blessings God gives us. Several of our kids came in from camp, and then a group of them the very next morning, early in the morning, left out from Marlington, West Virginia, for the mission trip that we have done for several years for a little small congregation there in a little small mining town of West Virginia. And it's a great encouragement to them. Uh, In addition to these uh, that went yesterday, seven more left out early this morning and will join them. And let's be praying for that good work at Marlington this week. Also, as already mentioned, the camp Uh, was a great success, and there's been a lot of uh, good said about it, and so I'll just tag on this on the end of of what has already been said good. We're so thankful uh, for everybody that helped, everybody that went. Uh, We're so thankful for Philip. He puts a lot of hours in and, and brings a lot of skill and a lot of experience to pull off a camp that is just that good. And uh, glory be to God. And we're thankful for Philip and the, the great work and success uh, that, that the camp has been. We're also thankful that we've had a group of our own uh, to come back from Nicaragua. We really have had two. Let me mention the first one uh, was a group that you see they, they were digging water wells and then also having vacation Bible school in the day and, and doing some evangelistic efforts at night that the young men led and uh, John Stallworth and Stacy Eakes was on this trip along with several that have just completed the 11th grade, the rising seniors. And a few of those that were on that from Mount Juliet was Brooke Eakes and Will Stallworth and McLean Remus and Chase Flechek and Bryce Dabbs. And we're thankful uh, for them and the good that they were doing. And about the time they were leaving there, uh, also going not to the very same village, but to Nicaragua was uh, Buddy and Sissy Pickler and Josh and Whitney Gravel. And they were working along with the school that many of us support through either our Bible classes or individually when we support students. Uh, the school there, uh, that community had a medical evangelistic campaign. And uh, they were able to see those 500 kids that are part of that school. There's a grade being added every year. They're up to ninth grade this year. And uh, while they were there, they experienced a 6.9 earthquake. Uh, But better than that, they saw four individuals baptized into Christ. And so we're thankful for the good that was done in, in Nicaragua over the last two weeks. And members of this congregation have been a part of it. Also, just a quick reminder, if you've not signed up yet for the marriage seminar 
Lonnie Jones will be conducting on a Friday evening, Saturday morning of June 24th and 25th. Sign up at the Information Center. You don't want to miss that. Also, another reminder, VBS is just around the corner. If you don't know about that, ask questions. It's worth learning about. If you are helping, though, you need to come to one of the following two meetings. Come to either one this afternoon or one Wednesday evening. But if you're helping in any way, that's pretty necessary that you come. It'll be a a quick and efficient meeting, but please do not miss that. Rest. It is interesting to think about rest. Here we are beginning a busy summer. It's good to think about rest. When you think about rest, what do you picture? This guy looks pretty restful, doesn't he? What, what about this little girl? She, she looks at rest. What do you picture when you picture rest? Dictionary.com, of course, his purpose is not to help us, in a sense, study the Bible. But as we have completed a study of covenants recently, remember that a huge part of God's covenants was that he was leading people to rest, to a better life of rest, and even eventually to an eternal life of rest. And so over a few weeks, I want you to think about what the Lord is offering us in his covenant, and let's make sure that we're experiencing it. And so to do that, let's take just a moment to define rest out of a secular dictionary, just, if you will, to get our minds thinking and and maybe a little bit broader concept of rest, because rest is a lot more than just closing your eyes. Although in our secular dictionaries, that's a part of the very first definition is rest is used as a noun. It is speaking about sleep. But then the second definition is inactivity from exertion. You've been doing something really uh, of, of great labor. And like many uh, here this, this weekend, you have sought some rest because the past week's been busy. I want you to think about the children of Israel. The example is just read in Hebrews, the third and fourth chapter. That's what we'll study some over the next few weeks. The example that was given to us to help us to understand the rest that God wants us to have is the example of the children of Israel. They had been slaves. They had been working hard and God wanted to offer them a land of rest. He wanted to give them a land where they wouldn't have to work so hard as slaves. But then notice the third definition, relief or freedom. That was a big part of what the Lord surely meant when he was talking about rest. They were enslaved and the Lord was leading them to a land of rest. Remember, he's using Moses as his leader to take them to the land of rest. When we go to the next slide, we see the fifth one is a spiritual calm. This is still from dictionary.com, spiritual calm, a tranquility. The sixth one is death, eternal rest. And then seventh is the absence of motion. And so as we come back and we start kind of more now toward an avenue of spiritual thinking, you, your soul. I want to ask you, are you at rest with Christ? Do you know the rest that Christ offers? Do you know the relief and the freedom from being free from being held by Satan? He's not your master anymore. Do you know that freedom to have Christ as your master? Do you know that spiritual calmness? Do you know that tranquility? Do you know the hope of eternal rest? Hey, I'd like to stay alive a little bit longer to to see and just fill in the blanks. 
see my kids grow up, see my grandkids or to experience whatever it may be. That's, that's good. That means you're, you're invested in life. But at the same time, all of us ought to have hope to say, but you know what? If today is my last day, I'm at peace with that. I have full tranquility and rest with the thought of eternal rest. Hope. Hope is a huge part of that. Also, are you refreshed? Are you relieved of weariness? And and especially that weariness in Christ, we're, we're not just talking about a physical weariness. We're talking about the spiritual weariness. Are you listening? Sin will wear you out. Just plunge head forward into a life of sin and see how long it takes you to get worn out with sin. Do you know a relief from that life where, you know what? Sin doesn't govern my life every day. Sure, I'm imperfect and and I fall short, but you know what? Sin is not the direction I live my life every day. I've been relieved from that. Are we at ease? Do we know tranquility and peace? Do we know, isn't that be, be still? And know that I am God. Do you know that kind of peace to be still and to know God? I know in an audience this size, there are some that have heard just this last few minutes and you are thinking, I don't know if I've ever known that. Please study today. Come back with us over the next few Sundays because really we're just getting into it today. But I want you to come to know that because it's not just about this life, but it's about eternal life. And you're missing out. You're missing out on everything that matters if you're missing out on this rest that God offers us as his covenant people. Maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, you know what, I I knew that at one time in my life, but it's been a long time since I've known that kind of rest. Why not begin a hunger and a thirsting after righteousness for that kind of rest today? Why not today, you're standing up with the Lord and against Satan and saying, you're not robbing me of my rest anymore. And come to the one and truly surrender again, the one that will offer you rest. Maybe you can honestly say, you know what? I am at peace with my God. I do know rest. You know what today and over the next few weeks, I hope it'll be. I hope this will be a reminder for you and I to not take for granted one of the marvelous blessings that God gives us. People that live in rest, that is a marvel. That is a work of God that only God can do. And so let none of us here take for granted the rest that God offers us. I hope you have your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at Hebrews, the third chapter. Eventually in this series, we'll look at Hebrews, the third and the fourth chapter. I want us to just go ahead and begin at the first verse. The great illustration that illustrates how horrible it is when we miss the rest was read as our text this morning. You'll notice as you read down in verse 7, 8, 9, that's the illustration. But how did we get to this illustration? The first thing that the Hebrew writer tells us in verse 1 is he tells us who he's writing to. Notice, and and we don't have the exact verse on the slide here. We will some of the other ones, but I'm going to read verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren... Who's he writing to? Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. What does he want us to do as holy brethren? I want you to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Listen, there's a lot of things that we learned that we need to go out and we need to tell the lost. 
But sometimes we need to study things as the saved. And so this is a passage where he says, I want to talk to those of you that are saved. I want to talk to those of you that are holy brethren. There's something I want you to consider. Now consider is the idea of, of, of to behold, but it's also the, the idea of to discover. You know, like when you're looking at something so carefully and you're like, well, let me look at it from this angle. Well, wow, I've never seen it from this angle before. Wow, I, I have considered this more than I ever have before. Wow, if he's talking to holy brethren and he's wanting us to consider something, what is it he wants us to consider? Jesus. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hebrew writer, you want us as holy brethren to consider? We've considered Jesus. He says, I know, but I want you to consider it again this morning. What, what do you want us to consider? Number one, I want you to see Jesus as an apostle. When's the last time you have described Jesus as an apostle? I know we usually don't do that. And then you say, well, why does he do that here? Because the word apostle means one that is officially sent with a message. If you'll go back in your Bible to Hebrews, the first chapter in verse one and two, you will see that God sent Jesus Christ to be the messenger to us today. It's the same language, the same teaching in John, the first chapter in verse one through 14, where Jesus is called the word. In other words, he is the message from the messenger from God to us. He's an apostle. The Hebrew writer wanted us to consider that this morning. The Hebrew writer wanted us to consider what message does Jesus have for us? The second thing they said I want you to consider is that Jesus is a high priest. Now we know the high priest would go into the presence of God. Only the high priest could go in, into the Holy of Holies. And he would go on behalf of everyone else so that everyone else in a sense through him could reach the Father. Now, under the new covenant, that was the old covenant, under the new covenant, Jesus Christ is our high priest. We approach the Father because of Jesus. We reach the Father through Jesus. One example is when we pray and we pray through Jesus' name. What do we mean? In that statement, we are recognizing, we are considering the fact that we can't reach the Father without our high priest, Jesus. Now, for time's sake, we're not going to take the time to develop verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. But if you have your Bible open, just at a scanning, you can see that there's really two things under consideration here. And, and what, in a sense, he's doing is comparing the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. And he's saying the Old Covenant was brought to us by Moses. The New Covenant was the messenger through Jesus Christ. And the New Covenant is so much greater because of the messenger. I'll read one line out of verse 3. For this one has been counted worthy, talking about the Christ covenant, of more glory than Moses. In other words, this new covenant is tremendous. As great as Moses was, as good as the old covenant was, this new covenant and the messenger of this new covenant is so much greater. And so there's three things that he says, I want you to consider about Christ. I want you to see how he's an apostle. He's an official messenger. I want you to see how he's a high priest. He's the way we reach God. And then with all of those that, that would have been reading this through the, the Hebrew heritage, and they would have loved Moses, and they would have appreciated that old covenant, then he's saying also to them, I want you to see also that this is a lot better than the old covenant. This is a lot better than Moses. Consider Christ. 
The second thing that he clearly teaches is I want you to consider yourselves. Will you join me in studying verse six? I want to read the third chapter in verse six and let's see what we're being taught here about ourselves. But Christ as a son over his own house. I should have said this right before I read this verse. Those verses that we just kind of skipped over and just briefly mentioned, I should have mentioned this to you. Moses is called a servant in the house of God in those passages, but the house belongs to God and Christ is the son. And so Moses was a servant in the house, but it's Jesus Christ's house. Now with that in mind, let's read verse six again. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, he's talking about the church, the saved, whose house we are, it's a conditional covenant. If we do what? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Listen, it's wonderful what Moses brought. The covenant was good. It had some great things about it, but it's not as good as the new covenant. Moses was a great servant in the Lord's house, but he wasn't like the son of the house. It's his church. And we can be a part of Christ's house, a part of God's family, if, willing to hold fast. That's the idea of, of taking possession of something and not letting it go. Are we willing to hold fast? Notice the confidence. The word confidence carries with it a, a frankness, a, a bluntness. You know, when you're confident about something, you say, wow, that, that person just kind of plowed right into that. He just moved forward. Somebody say, oh yeah, he, he was really confident. Now the Lord's not urging us to be arrogant. Don't confuse that because our confidence is not found in ourself. Then it would become arrogant. Our confidence though, he says, I want you to hold on to it and I want you to just move forward as if this is a fact. Are you confident it's a fact? I'm confident it's a fact. And then notice the second thing he says, I want you to do. I want you to rejoice. And I don't know if you're like me. The first thing I think of when I hear the term rejoice is I think of an emotion. Yay, this, let's, let's, let's experience joy together. But that's not really the meaning of rejoicing. And, and of course, it's going to uh, indirectly refer to emotion. But the meaning here is the idea of glorying and boasting. What do you rejoice in? What do you glory in? What do you boast in? And notice, we rejoice in the hope. We glory in the hope and we hang on to that hope to the end. So what is the hope? Hope is the expectation that God will keep his promises. Are you listening, covenant people? People that are truly covenant people believe in the promises of God. If God says it, that's my future and it, it might as well go ahead and take place because if God says it, it happens every time. That is covenant attitude. It's covenant culture. And so this that he's talking about when he says holding fast with confidence, it's because of the one who is giving us these promises. And when he says glorying, boasting in the hope, 
It's because of the one who gives us this hope. So we considered Christ. Then we consider ourselves. You know, and as beautiful and as positive as verse 6 is, what do you think would be the very next thing out of his pen? Well, we had it read just a few minutes ago. And we'll probably spend a lot of time next week studying this illustration. And so it may sound a little bit redundant next week. I hope instead it sounds like emphasis. But when he makes this beautiful, positive statement where hopefully most of us as holy brethren would say, that's what I want to do. I want to be a person that's holding fast that confidence. I want to be a person that's rejoicing in that hope. And then he says, yeah, there have been other believers that have been like that. But they've also lost their way. And there was a whole generation that because of their unbelief, they did not enter into the land of rest. And God allowed them to die out in the wilderness, never knowing the rest because of their unbelief. So I'm not giving you David Shannon's spin this morning. I'm telling you, if we're just working down this passage, the first thing he says is, I want you to consider Christ. Then the next thing he says in verse 6 is, I want you to consider yourself. And it's very positive. And then the very next thing that he goes into is, but I want you to consider the alternative. Listen, if you're a believer this morning, do you realize it's not a given that you'll be a believer next year? Are you humble enough to admit that? Are you humble enough to realize that just as much as your faith is alive today, if you do not nurture it, if you do not guard it, if you do not protect it, you can be an unbeliever just as easy as you can be a believer. That's sobering. But that's what this illustration is about. This illustration is about taking the children of Israel that had seen so much and he's saying, look at them. They became unbelievers and died in the wilderness, never knowing the rest. And so after he gives that illustration that we'll look at more next week, uh, I invite you to go down to verse 13. And notice, I'm sorry, it's verse 12. And notice what he says in verse 12. This This is right after the illustration of the children of Israel who became unbelievers. And the very next thing he says is, beware brethren, still talking to the holy brethren. Lest there be any of you. See, it could happen to any of you. An evil, that's just against the will of God, that's sinful, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Beware. Children of Israel were told, look at that land. We're headed toward it. 10 spies that we'll look at next week said, oh, that's terrible. Let us tell you what we saw with our eyes. And so the congregation had to decide, are we going to believe what these men have seen with their eyes or are we going to believe God? And the congregation chose to believe the men and not believe God. And that's why he places this emphasis here of the heart of unbelief. Let's just... Let's just pick out one, one out of thousands of ways. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't really think fornication's all that bad. I mean, you know, 
just turn on TV, just listen to coworkers. You know, it's, hey, it's just, we just love each other. I, I don't think fornication is all that bad. Okay, pause there for a moment. Who are you going to believe? You going to believe the feeling you have that it's not that bad? You're going to leave your peers around you to say, hey, it's not that bad. Or God, who says, that's sinful. Who are you going to believe? Now look back at verse 12 there again. Are you going to have a heart of belief or a heart of unbelief? Oh, no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't get me wrong. I, I know, I'm, I know I'm not really doing what I should do. I know that I'm, I'm living, I know I'm committing for God. But let me tell you something. I still love God. I haven't departed from God. Read the verse again. You can't have a heart of unbelief and not depart from the living God. That's the seriousness about any time we see what God's will is and we say, well, I, I just don't think... I fill in another blank. Lying. Lying's not that big a deal. I mean, probably 80, 90% of Americans lie. It's, it's not that big a deal. It's, wait a minute. Is that, is that people that have their belief, their life wholly committed to God, and they're moving forward in confidence, and they're rejoicing in the hope, are they the ones that will go to work tomorrow and lie? No. They're not the ones that will go to work tomorrow and lie. Why? Because they don't want to depart from God. It's a big deal that any time God speaks about something and we, we kind of push it off to the side. I don't, I don't really believe it's that big a deal. Well, that's departing from the living God. How is it that people come to the point that they're not faithful. They don't care. Their heart is hardened. Well, just continually deny God. Consider Christ. Consider yourself. Consider the alternative. But also consider others. Look at the very next verse. Verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin why sin deceitfulness because we can so easily convince ourselves there's nothing wrong with it satan does such a good job of convincing us that it's good it's enjoyable hey you can rejoice in, in it. You can find your confidence in it. You can start boasting and hey, I'm telling you this is the way. Instead of rejoicing in hope where I'm telling you God's way, God's promises, that's the way to live. Which one are we going to rejoice in? And so now it comes down to this. Are we going to be fooled by the deceitfulness of sin? And what about others? I don't know exactly what to do with this except just preach it. If you read something that the Bible said straightforward, would you say we ought to do it? What does this verse say that we ought to do? It's real straightforward, isn't it? We ought to exhort one another daily. How different would our families be if we exhorted each other daily? Be confident in the faith, 
and rejoice in hope. And what would that look like in your family? If there were verbal expressions every day where you express that daily, what would it look like? Now, back up from just your family and let's think about the church family. What would it look like if as a church family, every one of the holy brethren that he's writing to, everybody that's a part of the house of Christ that he's writing to, if everyone said, you know what? I, I just encourage somebody every day. My family, I, my church family, I encourage somebody every day to keep the faith and to not be deceived by sin, to believe in the promises of God and rejoice in those to hold fast with confidence. You can move forward if you're moving forward with God and you know you're doing the right thing. I'd love for this to be one of those moments that we'd look back as a congregation a year from now and we would say, this congregation has never been the same since that Sunday in June when we studied Hebrews the third chapter and verse 13 together. And every one of us started exhorting each other every day to keep the faith. If you're married to a believer, I'm not saying right now, turn your head and look at them, but I want you to look at them and realize whether or not they are a believer a year from now is not a given. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll be a believer. I I don't have to worry about that. No, according to Hebrews 3, you do have to be concerned about that. And it's your job to daily exhort them. Look at your children. You say, oh, I tell you, we have good children that love the Lord. All right? Just know that next year they may not love the Lord. But what if you exhorted them daily to love the Lord? What about your church family? What about the ones you set aside in Bible class? You say, you know what? I love them so much. We're so close and they're such good, faithful Christians. It's not a given they'll be a faithful Christian next year. But what about if you exhorted them daily? I don't know if this scripture is saying we need to target one person and exhort that same person every day or if it's more of this is the attitude of you as a child of God when you have the opportunity, speak bluntly. That's the confidence. Speak straightforward. Words that affirm the faith and you're encouraging the people you love to keep the faith. And when a brother or sister shares the same encouragement to you, deeply appreciate it and take it to heart. How different would it be if we did that? I want to close this morning by showing you another passage that uses almost the exact same wording, except it just gives a different point of application. 
And this time the point of application is when we come together as a church family. Look at Hebrews the 10th chapter. Hebrews the 10th chapter, verse 23. Notice it's the same teaching, except this time it's when we assemble together. It's just not a daily basis when we're together. Notice what he says in Hebrews 10 and 23. Let us hold fast. See that language? We're holding fast the confession of our hope. Same language. The promises of God. God keeps his promises without wavering. We're going to do it to the end. For he who promised is faithful. The one that made the covenant with us. He keeps his promises. We should hold on to that. But we also need to consider one another, 24, in order to do what? To stir up love and good works. That's why we don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but we do what? Exhort one another. That's the same language. We exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God, what do you want us to do when we come together? Do we come together to worship God in spirit and truth? Absolutely. Is that all there is to it? Oh, uh, no, not even close. He says, not only do I want you to worship me, but I want you to be aware of your brethren that are sitting around you and I want you to make sure that every time you assemble, stir them up to love, stir them up to good works, encourage them to hold on to that hope, that confession of their faith, and don't give it up. A lot of time I close lessons by asking, what do we learn today? Today, I really mean it when I say, I want to ask you, what will you do this week? What are you going to do to exhort believers this week? I hope you can't find rest in your conscience until you figure out how you're going to exhort someone every day. Every day this week. Who are you going to exhort each day this week? How are you going to intentionally stir up others to love and good works at our assemblies? Brethren, it may be that whatever number of individuals we have that leave the faith, if we could ask God right now to open up the, the door of heaven and speak directly to us, and if we say, God, why are they leaving? It might be that God would say, you guys don't get close to doing what I've told you to do. I've told you to exhort each other every day. And you get that one right? And you're going to see a different people. I hope and pray we get this one right. So that there are more and more of us experiencing rest all of our life and into eternity. Is there anything we can do to help you this morning? Is there something that we could say to exhort you and to encourage you to put your hope in the promises of God? If you're ready this morning to be baptized into Christ, if you're ready to be restored, if we can help you, we'd love to help you. Please come as we stand, as we sing.